dream big never stop dreaming because you can do whatever that you want as long as you believe in your dreams Welcome to the Dare to Dream Productions podcast. Today we have a very special episode because this is the first episode where there will be multiple crew members joining us. Please welcome the crew of The Appraiser, an upcoming drama short about a woman in New York who confronts her body dysmorphia, something that is rarely addressed in film and TV. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. So we're going to go around the room, and if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and the like role you are in the film, the crew position, and then also what, what why were you drawn to this specific story? Uh, so my name is Carla Seat. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I wrote the script, and I'm also acting in it, and um, I was drawn to write this story because it's, it's a personal story for me. I do have body dysmorphic disorder and I think there's a lot of power in telling personal stories because you're never the only person going through something, even when you feel like you are. So there are always others dealing with the same thing as you. And so I think it's important to tell something, these stories that are so personal to us. Uh, my name is Lily Torre. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm the director of this film. I was drawn to it. Uh, I've known Carla since college. We went to college together and we were roommates as well. And she and I met up for the first time in a while at a friend's birthday party. And she was telling me that she had wrote this script and she sent it to me. And the day, the day before she sent it to me, I was, you know, walking around New York, commuting, living the New York life. And I just kept being like, oh my God, I am looking at myself in every reflective surface. Like I am the most vain, horrible person in the world. I was like having all of these negative thoughts about like, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And then that evening, Carla sent me the script and I read it and it was, you know, about exactly that, about the idea of being almost haunted by your reflection everywhere you go. And I just felt so incredibly seen by that. And I felt like kind of what you were mentioning, Bridget, like this isn't something that's talked about a lot in this way. I feel like when any sort of eating disorder or body image disorder is portrayed in TV and film, it looks a certain way. You know, the first thing that I picture is like a woman on the bathroom floor, like vomiting into a toilet or, you know, like a just thinking like horrible things about herself or, or being bullied by someone about her body. And it's like, it doesn't always look like that. It, it's actually a lot more, it's a lot smaller than that. And it's a lot more incessant than that. It's not these one-off things that happen to us. It's an everyday, almost constant occurrence. And I felt so seen by reading this and I felt so much better weirdly about myself reading it, that I wasn't alone in this experience, that I really wanted to be part of communicating that to other people. And I like, I just got obsessed with like sharing this feeling with other people of like, it's okay. And you're not alone. And it doesn't make you a bad person. And, you know, to try to just talk about it, I think is a great first step. Hi, I'm Rebecca Vega Romero. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the producer of the appraiser. Uh, So my first 
interaction with the script was I uh, saw that my friend Lily had posted that she was hoping to do this project. Um, we're members of the same acting studio uh, in New York City, um, the Jen Waldman studio. And she was looking for if, if there was anyone in our theater community who had film experience. Because um, I think that's a really unique sort of segue experience of jumping from artistic medium. Um, so I told her that I had just done my own film and she told me the concept for the film. And I was like, I, can I please read the script? I have to read the script. Like that, the idea of showing that experience um, really resonated with me because it's something that I've experienced. And what I think is really special about this this script and this movie that we're going to make is it kind of combines a lot of different artistic lenses to tell the story so when i read the script i was like this is not really a film script this is like a poem and a dance project and then you put it all together and it turns into a movie um and i think that's a really unique way of capturing the out of body experience that is body dysmorphia where you are disconnected from reality um, and you are looking at yourself and judging yourself and you are seeing yourself through a distorted lens um, so i was i was just blown away by the script and i was like i have to get involved in any way possible anything i can do to help bring this story to life because um, I think it's really important to tell stories that would have helped us like to reach back and help your former self. And I think that's what this film will do and help a lot of other people in the process. I love that so much. I definitely think that's like my personal mission as a filmmaker too, is like to, you know, be the role models for the next generation. And this film does touch on like, it's not, you know, gender specific, but like I feel like a lot of women have faced this, but like there are definitely men and like gender nonconforming folks that, especially gender nonconforming folks. I have like my one friend who definitely has came to me and told me that they also have dealt with this. So I'm very excited to see it. And I have a question for you, Carla. Carla. As the writer of the film, what is your goal with the film and what do you hope the audience feels after watching it? So I really want to like let the audience into the brain of someone who has body dysmorphia. Like Lily was saying, oftentimes the representation of body image issues is just like a very small slice of that pie. Um, we don't often get to see what it what that experience can truly feel like, especially when it's not something that's like on the far end of the spectrum, like, like what Lily was describing. Um, and I just really wanted to show what these obsessive thought patterns actually sound like, um, because it wasn't until I started therapy like a couple of years ago that I even realized I have body dysmorphia. And like, <laughs> I have literally had these same thought processes for decades. Like I'm, I'm 32 now and this, you know, these are things that I've been thinking about myself since I was in elementary school. 
And I just didn't realize that this is what it was because I had never heard anyone talk about what it actually sounds like inside the brain. Um, so I, I really wanted to just like expose that, put that out there for people to understand. Um, and I want people to understand like the damage that those kinds of thoughts can have not only on your relationship with yourself and your body, but also your relationship with other people. Um, Cause I know that for me, like that it's been particularly damaging to my relationship with other people who are larger than me. Um, especially when it comes to like comparisons, which is something that we show in the film. Um, it's not only like her thoughts about for the main character, it's not only her thoughts about herself, but it's the way that she compares herself to other people, people who she thinks maybe she doesn't compare to, like she is less than, but then also people who she feels better than because of how they look. So I really want to drive home that it's not just an internal experience, it becomes an external experience that you put on other people as well. Um, so I want our audience to take not only what it feels like inside the body and inside the brain, but also the effect it can have externally. Um, and then I also, I mean, I, I want our audience to be able to recognize these thoughts in themselves. Obviously not everyone watching it is going to have body dysmorphia, but I bet you that most of them will have thought some of these things about themselves and others at some point in their life. Um, so I really want people to feel the impact of our collective preoccupation with appearance and, and hopefully get people to start to rewire those thought processes and, and rewire their thinking around what makes a person worthy and what makes a person good and, you know, spoiler alert, that's not our appearance. <laughs> it's a very, very small part of our total makeup. And Rebecca, as the producer of the film, why was it important for you to find an all-female crew? And I love that about the film because I believe, like, just female crews in general, I support so much. And, like, I think if it's, a, like, a female protagonist, I feel like the best kind of people to tell that story would be, you know, women. So why, why was that? What was your thought process there? Well, it was something that I brought up early in the um, in the meetings with Lily and Carla was that for my previous film, uh, which was a film that I wrote and then produced and starred in uh, called The Question, that film dealt with um, the experience of dating as a mixed race woman, which I am. And in putting together that film set, we prioritized finding other mixed race women to tell that story. So our director, our other producer, um, our cinematographer were all mixed race women. And it made for such a special experience on set and before and in post because we had each been through what the characters in the film went through. Um, and I thought that with this story that is, while body dysmorphia is not like exclusive to women, it is, uh, it affects more women than men. And we were specific, we're specifically telling the story of a woman's experience with that in a world that is dominated by the male gaze, um, especially in filmmaking, where we primarily have men directing and writing and producing and 
holding the camera, um, it was really, I, I thought it would create a safer set. Um, and I thought it would help us really hone in on showing that specific experience of being a woman living in a woman, in a woman's head and body, you know, that sounds weird, but <laughs> um, seeing herself through her own eyes. Um, yeah. It's definitely like, you feel so much lighter on sets. I don't know if you've also had the same experience, but when I'm on a set with like a bunch of men or just like, it's very few women or not, no woman at all. It just feels like a lot of pressure and it's like a lot of yelling and it's very chaotic, but I feel like when I've been on sets, when it's run by women or there's like a whole, you know, woman team, it feels just so much lighter and everyone more collaborative. And then- I think that's, <laughs> I think that's true. Um, and I also think there's something special about creating a space that is different than what we expect. I mean, even the terminology of filmmaking is very male dominated and aggressive. Like they're shoot days, we're shooting. Um, and I don't really know what the fix for that is, but I just thought it was worth pointing out. <laughs> that's such a good point. I never even thought about that, but that's like, yeah, crazy. And then I wanted to get into about crowdfunding and also congratulate you. You guys hit your goal I saw on Instagram. That's so exciting. And over 10,000, right? Yes. That's yeah. Thank you. We've, we've been able, we have two more days at, you know, the recording of uh, crowdfunding left and we've been able to raise a little bit over so far. That's awesome. Cool. So I want to get into, can you walk us through your planning process and why you chose, I think it was Seeded Spark compared to like GoFundMe or any of the other crowdfunding sites. I can speak to that. Uh, so Seed and Spark, I used to fundraise for the question. And so I already had experience with the platform. And when we were planning how to make this movie and how to come up with the funds to do it at the level at which we wanted to make it, um, I recommended using that platform because it's exclusively for filmmaking, unlike GoFundMe or Indiegogo. Um, it, they understand what it is we're doing. And then the people who are visiting that site are going there to find out about new films and new filmmakers. So there's a bit more of a built-in audience, um, which we really, I think, succeeded in tapping into. Um, we made it onto all of their like feature lists in the very first day. Uh, and I think the process went really smoothly because Carla and Lily were so receptive to all of the lessons I had learned on my film, um, where like, I was like, this is what I did wrong. And this is how you can do it better. Um, and again, I just think the message of this film is so important and touched a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it, we were definitely receptive to any lessons that Rebecca had learned because uh, Rebecca kind of touched on this a little bit, but, you know, all of us, our background uh, is primarily as theater artists. So, you know, Carla and I went to school together for theater and that is just like the world that we come from. So this was really new for us. 
And, you know, going back to why an all female team, part of that was to like give opportunities. Like this is an opportunity for us that we haven't had in the past of like working on a film, especially for like me and Carla. And, you know, we wanted to keep that ball rolling of like giving people opportunities who don't always receive these opportunities. So for us, like the crowdfunding was such a new thing because we've never had to do that in theater. I've never been a part of that in theater. And so we were very open to any and all advice and information. And I think thanks to like Carla is an incredibly like prepared and organized person. And that helped so much. And, uh, you know, definitely I think as well, like our, our communities of people, our networks of people, um, we're just excited for an opportunity to support us because we haven't like crowdfunded super often. It wasn't like, oh, here they are again asking for money, which I think can be difficult. That's very exciting then that you guys got over your goal too. And this is your first time. That's awesome. So I remember looking on the the Seed and Spark and seeing like you guys had some really interesting incentives like offering personal affirmations and you know that's so sweet I felt like very drawn to that and a podcasting webinar how did you go about coming up with these incentives? So I I think we wanted like a mix of incentives that were some that were like in line with the themes of the film like the affirmation um so if someone is coming to our page because they the theme of body image, body dysmorphia has, has really resonated with them. They'll see something on the incentive list that, that is appealing to them, um, as well as things that will get people excited to watch our film. Like we made a Spotify playlist. Um, everyone on our creative team had input and, and added songs to it that, felt, that fit the vibe of the movie, just to kind of get people amped up to see it once it's finished. Um, and then also things that we have a personal expertise in. So like the podcast webinar and coaching, Lily has her own podcast, The Dreaded Questions. So she has a lot of information she can impart to people who, you know, are interested in starting a podcast or have a podcast and need a little bit of help. So, um, and also we had another incentive was cookies. I have a degree in baking and pastry. So I figured why not use that? Um, we also had a great one from one of our composers, Megan Bagala. She uh, offered to write a personalized soundscape um, for one of our incentive levels. So I think utilizing the expertise of the people on our team, as well as finding incentives that fit the film. I don't think they all have to be incentives that fit the film. Obviously, uh, all of ours weren't, but I think finding a nice mix of those. And finding a mix of um, incentives that could allow anyone who wanted to contribute to contribute, no matter how much they were able to contribute and still feel like they were a part of the experience. Um, I, that was really important. And I think a big part of our success. And something that Rebecca had to remind me of, because I, I think I was a little stressed about like, oh, are people going to want our incentives? But she, she reminded me that the incentive isn't the point really. I, ideally, you're getting people that want to contribute to your film because they are excited about your film and the incentive is a bonus. So I think keeping that in the back of your mind is very helpful. And then after making the campaign, how did you 
how did you like raise the money? Did you do email marketing or how, what were your target audience to? I mean, I'll go first on this one. Cause I was shameless. I was like, okay, y'all my birthday is July 11th. So we are going to launch this campaign right before my birthday. And I'm going to be like everyone I've ever like known. I'm going to let you know it's my birthday. And this is what I want, like a contribution to this campaign. And, you know, honestly, I really feel like that helped a lot and it really worked because it helped create momentum around the campaign. Like, I think we launched it on like the eighth or the ninth and my birthday was the 11th. So I just sent out uh, an email to like everyone who I thought might be interested in giving me some sort of like small gift for my birthday and just said like, this is what I would love beyond anything else. There's no physical items I need in my life. I need to make this film. And I was actually really impressed with the, uh, with the response to that and the people who kind of came out of the woodwork and were like, oh, I'm so happy to do this. And so I feel like that is kind of like a good tip. If you have like either a holiday or like some sort of like big event, a birthday, something coming up that you can kind of launch it around. Um, I feel like that really gave us that like first initial boost and, you know, as icky as it can feel to, to ask people for money. I think it was Rebecca who was saying to us, like, you have to focus on why people want to be involved. So like, what are the things that would make someone be like, I'm so proud to contribute to this film. So that's where I feel like having an all-female crew comes in because there's a a definite demographic of people who are really going to care about that and who are going to be like, oh, it's an all-female crew. Like, I'd love to support that, even if they don't really care what the film's about. Um, But also people who may care really deeply about what the film is about and I think being clear and communicative about that and understanding who your target audience is and not being ashamed to reach out, like thinking of it as a generous act of like, I know you care about this and you're going to want to support this. And so here's an opportunity for you to, to support something like that. And you don't even have to do anything, but press a few buttons. You don't have to like make a film. You can just like click some buttons and donate a little cash. And I think that it's, it's a difficult reframe because it's not our go-to way of thinking to be like, it's generous to ask someone for money, but I think it's an important mindset to have when, when crowdfunding. I think we also, uh, something we benefited from was having a large team already attached to the film before we started crowdfunding. So we have six people on our creative t- team. In addition to the three of us, we have two composers and a choreographer. And um, everyone was involved on like reposting stuff on social media, sending out personal messages and emails. So I think um, definitely something I would recommend to people wanting to crowdfund is, is making sure that everyone you have on your team is prepared and able to like help push during the campaign. Another thing that I think really helped us succeed is, and I Lily mentioned this before, but Carla is so prepared and Lily too, um, so that before the campaign, we had uh, quite a large backlog of content to share about the film. Um, So we weren't scrambling during the actual campaign to post because we already knew what we were gonna post. We had planned goals and then we had to have a meeting early on because we crushed our goals so quickly that we're that we're like oh 
what's the next goal? Okay, here's the next goal. Here's what we're going to do. But we already had the material to support that. So we could say like, this is what the film might sound like. This is what, this is why we're all telling the story. This is, um, here's the cool thing that you could get to do like the podcasting class. So preparedness, I think. Very cool. And did you do email marketing at all? Yeah, we did. We did like a mix of direct email and, and you know, direct messages on social media. And um, in addition to just posting on the social media profiles that are like specific to the film. And then who did you send the Seed and Spark to? Any investors, executive producers in the film industry? No, I mean, we like kind of Bernie Sandered it and like just like a bunch of small contributions from our our networks um really like made the difference it's such a I almost feel like it's like such a cliche when you're fundraising to be like every amount counts like even five dollars but it really does like I think people really undervalue the the small donation and think like oh if I don't have you know three hundred dollars to contribute it doesn't help but like it really does and you know, again, like I said, with my birthday, it was like some people who were sort of like, not super, super close best friends who were like, yeah, I'll throw like 10 bucks at your, at your film. And like all of those things added up. So yeah, no, I think it genuinely was like all friends, family, people who found us on seed and spark. Cause like Rebecca said, we were like featured on their, on their page and their email, um, newsletter, but yeah. That's so cool. And that's so smart with the birthday thing. I'll definitely have to keep that in mind if I crowdfund for something. And then for audience members who are about to launch their crowdfunding campaigns, what are some do's and don'ts that you would recommend? I think, Rebecca, you said you were you had some things you've learned in the past. Do you mind sharing them or are they like very secret? I mean... No, I don't mind sharing. I'm kind of shameless. Uh, so I think one thing that this campaign did like way better than I did was um, the thing I mentioned about having all of the content prepped beforehand uh, was something that I, I think, shared a couple of times, like, make sure you have that stuff ready, because we we had some stuff, but I it turned out to not be enough. And we had to scramble to make stuff while we were crowdfunding. Um, Another thing was the email marketing that like I felt looking back at my campaign, I was like, I could have done a better job of that. Um, we we did hit our goal, um, but some people sent us money off of Seed and Spark because they didn't understand. And so like it still bothers me that that campaign looks like it was only 98%, even though we did hit our goal. Um, so that I was like, yeah, let's make sure that you're really clear in your email about what you're asking for and why um and have that ready to go i think i think that's it like it wasn't it's like the smallest things can make a difference just like the smallest amount of funding can help you make your movie I think it's a good idea to really take advantage to all of the resources that Student Spark has to offer on their website and on their YouTube channel. It's incredible. They have so many free videos 
um, and it's a lot of information. So, I mean, not all of it is going to be relevant to you and your film, but like, it's just, all of it is helpful. And um, to Rebecca's point about being prepared, um, definitely like, I think planning things out is great, but also because <laughs> campaigning is exhausting and 30 days sounds like a short amount of time, but it feels very, very long <laughs> when you're in the middle of it. So I think, um, I think really thinking about the way you operate personally. So like, I am a very organized person. It really helps me decrease my stress if I can organize and plan things out. But someone else might be really good at writing like off the fly social media posts. And so like maybe instead of, yeah, Rebecca's raising her hand, yes. So I think, you know, you can plan out that like, yeah, I want to do this kind of post. If you are that person that doesn't need to organize things, plan out like I want to do this kind of post and then write it day of. Like I think really just making sure that you understand how you work best so that you can get through the 30 days. And then even afterward, because your audience is still going to want to see like behind the scenes stuff, they still want to hear from you, you know, when you're no longer, they, I think, and they uh, will prefer to hear from you when you are no longer asking for money. Um, so like work in the way that's not going to burn you out. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think like division of labor too is really important. Um, and that kind of goes with having, you know, people on your team who are ready to like pitch in and help out. And like, you know, for, for us, it was like, I'll handle email. Carla will handle social. And like that has worked really well for us. Cause you know, we're following up about delivering on those incentives and that in and of itself is also like a part-time job. So uh, yeah, definitely being organized has been really helpful. I think, I think like a don't that I would share would be like, don't get too caught up in like when you're creating, when we were creating the campaign and, you know, we were making the video and even like Carla shared earlier, like determining the incentives. I think it's easy to get caught up in like, yeah, will anyone want this? Or does this have anything to do with the movie? Or like, is this a good enough incentive? And again, just remembering, like, I literally don't think there's a single person who contributed who like really just did it because they wanted the incentive. Like, it's just not about that. And so I think like that can just be an area where you can sort of spin your wheels and expend so much energy. And similarly with the like pitch video, Seed and Spark is so helpful and like gave a lot of great feedback and all of that. But some of the things that they say can also feel like a lot of pressure. Like they were talking about, you know, this should represent like your artistic eye and should give people an idea of like the quality of the film. And I'm like, we don't have access to like the equipment yet. Like we're all just filming on our iPhones. Like, how is this going to, you know, this isn't going to like show them what it's going to look like. But in the end, I think what we were able to accomplish is in the pitch video specifically is like the essence of like who we are, the story we're trying to tell, why it matters to us and like how this looks different than the way that this issue has been addressed before. And like, that is all that we could put on ourselves. And I think that you have to like give yourself that grace that like, no, it's not going to look like your final product, hopefully. Um, but I think as a general rule for this process in general, I would say good enough is good enough. I definitely agree with like the, how story overpowers like the technical aspects of a film. So it should be the same for like the pitching and everything too. 
And then, if you guys were to do this again, crowdfund another film, what would you do again and what would you do differently? I think one thing I would do differently, um, I would definitely do it again, first of all. Um, I think it's a great way to build an audience. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's to have people literally investing in your film, that's like incredible. Of course, they're going to want to watch it once it's made. So I'd definitely do it again. Um, but one thing I would do differently is I think I would create like the social media, like start campaigning on social media before the crowdfunding starts, which we did to an extent, but um, I think really getting yourself out there, getting you and your project out there before would build more of an audience that's not so reliant on like friends and family and colleagues and pull in people who are outside of your network to create an audience that's going to have some longevity to it, you know, um, and be and follow you throughout your career. So I think taking the time prior to crowdfunding to really try to bring in those people that I don't already know and don't know me personally. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, I mean, Carla brings up such a great point about like the people who are contributing are becoming your audience. And I think that's such a great lens to look through when you are trying to figure out who you're going to reach out to and, you know, who you think will be interested in this. It's like such a great way. I hadn't thought about it before. I mean, I think I would definitely do like a launch around a birthday again. That worked really well. And I would definitely keep that up. But I do think like the next time that, you know, we have to crowdfund for something, it will be made a little bit more difficult by the fact that like we have already asked this exact group of people for money. And so like, are they going to want to contribute again? And hopefully yes, but also, you know, you can't be asking like every month for more and more money. So I think that Carla's absolutely right that it is all about expanding that network. Like uh, there's a book called Reach Out by by Molly Beck, and she talks about like if the people in your inner circle could help you, they would have by now slash they will if they ever can. So you need to expand be like one layer beyond that to really grow your network of people who can help you out. And I think the same is true for crowdfunding. Like, yes, your inner circle, like let's assume they're there. Like who's one layer outside of that? Who's two layers outside of that? And I think that that's, um, it would actually be really interesting to reread Reach Out by Molly Beck and like have this crowdfunding lens. So like that could be a great resource for people who are thinking about starting a campaign. I have to hop in and share. Um, yes, that, that book is a great resource, but also um, that was something I didn't mention earlier in this discussion was that when I came on board as a producer, I told Carla and Lily, like my network is tapped out. So I'm not coming on with the expectation that I will be pulling in a lot of funds for you guys because I just you know, fundraised for my film that I'm now finishing up and trying to get to festivals. Um, and actually, I was pleasantly surprised because I did still share everything on social media and I, I did have people from my network contribute um, and want to be a part of this film too. And we're super excited to see that I was producing again. So I think you'll be surprised when we do make that next film, whatever your next projects are, 
um, to see the people who want to keep following your artistic journey and um, that then it becomes like, oh, you, you have credibility because you've already made something that we wanted to see more of. Um, so that's a, a big deal too. Thank you so much. This is great advice. And I think, yeah, I'll definitely have to get that book. Cool. And then I read that you'll be filming next month in Queens. That's super exciting. What are your plans for after filming and post? And then do you have any dream film festivals that you're hoping to get into? Um, yeah, so festivals is definitely um, coming up after post-production. I would love to show at the Athena Film Festival at Barnard College. Um, also the Bentonville Film Festival founded by Gina Davis. Those are two that would just be a dream for me. They both amplify the stories of women. Um, Athena Film Festival really like pushes stories about women in leadership roles and that, you know, the definition of that is fluid. Um, but they, yeah, they amplify stories of women and, and diverse filmmakers, which is really laudable. Um, yeah, so those would be my ideal festivals. I'm just figuring out the film festival circuit with my first film. Um, and so I think it'll be really fun to see how, as I'm figuring out which festivals are appropriate for that film, I feel like there are gonna be ones where there's crossover I'm kind of really hoping that I get to bring two films to like a big festival at the same time next year. Um, I think that would be really cool. And there are a lot of um, female focused festivals, but also like there are a lot of New York City focused festivals. And because we're gonna be using the architecture of New York, um, I think those are another place where we can uh, really target. And then looking at festivals that celebrate um, interdisciplinary films, because we have this dance and original music element, um, it's another place for us to showcase the work. And then how could people find the appraiser once it's done? Well, I think film festivals, but on social media, what's your social media channels? And then can people still donate? I think there's two more days left, but then yeah, after this it might be released a little later, but um, where can people find you on social media? So on Instagram and Facebook, we are at The Appraiser Film, and on Twitter, we are at Appraiser Film. Um, but even after the campaign is over, our Seed and Spark page will still be up. So if you go to seedandspark.com and search The Appraiser, you'll be able to find our page, and we'll still be posting updates there. Um, pretty much everything that gets on social media, I think, has been, we've been trying to update on our scenes work page as well so people can follow us during production post-production distribution all that cool and then one final question is what are you most excited before filming about for this film what are you most excited about i'll go i am really excited to see the beautiful dancing come to life i just can't wait to see that and like i grew up in new york city so any chance we get to celebrate the landscape mm, is going to be beautiful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, the seeing the dancing and the music come together. So we have our choreographer Zanza Steinberg. 
is currently working on the choreographer choreography and our composers Megan Bogala and Josephine Spada are are working with Sansa to create this music which is different from how most films are scored because usually you know the scoring comes in in post once you have the film um, but because we're dancing in the film we need some music to dance to so things are happening a little differently and, and I'm just so excited to see what they come up with. Yes, I am excited about all of that and including an opportunity to return to New York. I moved to Kansas City, Missouri during the pandemic, and this will be my first time going back to the city since I moved. So I'm really excited about that. And to like meet all these women, like I've met Carla and Rebecca before, but I haven't met everyone. And I'm, you know, to have us all physically in the same space at the same time is going to be an absolute treasure. And I, I can't wait for that. And just to like, have that experience, like you were talking about earlier, Bridget, of, of having all women on set and just like seeing the energy that creates is going to be so wonderful. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. Please update us and maybe it will bring you back on. If you go to festivals, I'd love to talk about that. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us. We would love to come back. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. This was so much fun.